For those of you who I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, I am CJ, your new family pastor, and it is my joy and pleasure to lead us to the Word this morning. If you've been with us the past couple months, you know that Pastor John led us through a series in the, in the Gospel of John uh, where we studied the I am statements of Christ, and next week we're going to be beginning a new series But I wanted to just take one more Sunday to stay in the Gospel of John so that we can behold the glory of Jesus and see more deeply what he has invited us into. I want us to to see who Jesus is, why he came to earth, and how he has called his church to participate with him in spreading his salvation across the globe. And as we do that, I want us to just, in our, in our, in our minds for a second, consider a, a, a few questions I have for us. I don't need hands raised. I don't need uh, actual answers. These are rhetorical questions I just want us to consider for a moment. As we think about Jesus, how do you think Jesus sees the current state of the world? As we think about the current events happening in the U.S., and across the nations, what do you think is on Jesus' mind? I think we all have an idea of what's on our mind, how we feel about these things, how, how Christians feel about these things. But how, do, how is Jesus viewing these events? And what's Jesus' plan for redemption? How's he going to solve this mess? I believe in our text today, we are going to see that Jesus offers himself as salvation for this world, and he tasks the church to bring that salvation to the nations. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope. And today we're going to to dive into John chapter 7 to see those things more clearly. And so I want to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father, as we come to your word now, would you speak? We, as your people, believe that your word is living and active. That means that your word is alive today, and we want to hear from the living God today. That's what we ask for. Would you speak to us through this text, we pray, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we jump in to John 7, 37-39, I have three points for us. If you're a note taker, you can follow along. Point one, the world is a spiritual desert. This is how Jesus sees the world. He sees the world as a spiritual desert. And I think we see that in our text, starting in verse 37, when, Jesus says, when John says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. We're going to stop there for a moment. Because we need to understand the context of where Jesus is at. Jesus is at a feast. We see that in the beginning of verse 37. This isn't just any feast. This isn't like Thanksgiving, a big meal where everyone comes together and eat. No, this is a Jewish festival known as the Feast of Booths or also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's this Jewish tradition that every year people would come to Jerusalem to where the temple of God was to celebrate some things. And this festival lasted seven days and people from all over the country would come to Jerusalem to celebrate it. And one of the main purposes of this festival, one of the main focuses of this festival was this idea of water. 
You might even call it a water festival. And, and the reason uh, that this was a water festival is because in the Jewish mind back then, water equaled salvation. And I want to take a moment for us to, to understand why that was. Why was water equal to salvation? Now, in this festival, every day the priests had this big golden vessel that they would take down to the well of Siloam. It was this big well in Israel. And they'd fill this big golden vessel up and they'd march it all the way back through the city of Jerusalem and they'd take it into the temple next to the altar. And after saying some religious things and reading a few passages of scripture, they would dump this golden vessel full of water on the altar and they would sacrifice it to the Lord. Why did they do this? Why was this water sacrifice every day for seven days so important for the people of Israel? Once again, it's because water equaled salvation for them. This water offering was recognizing that apart from God, they have nothing. Israel's located in the Middle East. It's a desert. And if God doesn't bring the rain, their wells will not be filled up with water, so they don't have anything to drink, and their crops will not grow, and they won't have any food. If God doesn't bring the rain, they will thirst and starve to death. In fact, in Zechariah 14, it, it teaches, uh, the Jews were taught that, that if they didn't come to this festival, if they didn't recognize God's role in bringing water to the land, then he wouldn't bless the harvest. Their crops wouldn't grow. They'd starve and die. Water is this physical symbol of salvation for the Jewish people. I have a, a photo for us to look at really quick of, of just the landscape of Israel. It should be on the screen and the green part of this map, that's the nation of Israel. And what I, what I want you to see in this picture is this is where God brought the rain. This is where God's people were. They were praying. They were doing this festival. They, they were recognizing that God is the Lord of the heavens and he brings the water. And you can see the rest, the desert around them. No water, no life, no vegetation. You don't want to live in the brown. You just have heat, suffering, but in, in where God is, where God's people are, where God brings blessing, you have green, lush lands because that's where God brings the water. That's where he brings life to that place. I want us to see this, this because Israel was dependent on God for water. If God didn't bring the rain. If God didn't pour water down on this land, people would grow thirsty. Their crops wouldn't go. They would die. They were desperate for water. And Jesus knows this, right? Jesus is at this festival. He's at this water festival. He knows that all of these Jewish people there have this idea of water being this idea of salvation on their mind when he stands up and says what he's about to say. And we'll get to the specific of Jesus' words in a, in a moment, but we can't move past this idea of water equaling salvation, and we all get this sort of, even though we live in, in the 21st century and we just turn on our water faucet, we, like, we get water all the time, but if you've ever been like out to the desert or anything like that, you go three days without water and you're dead. That's just the reality of, of our frailty as human beings. We need water to survive. And this, this was really highlighted for me and, and, and my brother and my friend Reed when we went on this backpacking trip a few years ago to, in, to Yellowstone National Park. And we planned this trip out. We were going to backpack on, down into this canyon on the Yellowstone River to do some fly fishing on the river. And it was about seven or, uh, seven or eight miles down, straight down into this canyon to get to this really exclusive fly fishing spot that wasn't overfished because it was really hard to get to. And after we hiked down in the middle of summer, 
we get down there, and my, long story short, my little brother had a, a minor medical emergency, and he said, I, we need to get out of here. I, I need to go. I need to get help. I don't want this condition that I have to get worse overnight, and then we'd be stranded out here in the middle of nowhere where there's no cell phone reception. And so I was faced with this choice because I needed to take my little brother up out of this canyon, get him some help that he needed, but my friend Reed refused to go. He's like, we've been planning this trip for months. I want to, fly, I want to fish this river. I'm going to stay by myself in this canyon. And I, I tried to convince him to come with us, but he wouldn't come. So I had to leave my friend Reed and take my little brother up out of this canyon. And we made a plan for the next day. I would meet him at the trailhead, 12 p.m., be there. We'll pick you up. Everything will be all right. The next day came around, 12.30, 12.45, 1 p.m., my friend Reed was nowhere to be found. So, of course, I start to get a little worried, and I, and I start walking down this trailhead to see where he is. Maybe he fell. Maybe he got hurt. And after about 45 minutes of walking, I see way down in this canyon my friend Reed stumbling, dragging his backpack on the ground. And what I failed to realize was that I took the water purification system that we had with us when I hiked up out of the canyon, so my friend Reed had been fishing all night, all day, and then had an eight-mile hike out of this canyon in the middle of summer with no water. He was literally dying. And so, as you can imagine, he was desperate for water. And here's the thing. This is the state of all of us spiritually apart from Christ. In fact, it's worse we are dead spiritually, dehydrated, no life if we are not connected to Jesus. We desperately need spiritual water to revive our souls, and Jesus knows this. Jesus knows our desperate need for water, and in this text, he spiritualizes our physical need to highlight our spiritual need. And Jesus wants to draw our attention on our, the state of our souls apart from him and realize our thirst, our hunger for salvation. And that's why he says in verse 37, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. If you need water, I have it. If, just imagine, if you're a Jew at this festival, you're like, if anyone's thirsty, of course we're thirsty. That's why we're at this festival. We need water. Of course we're thirsty, Jesus. Why would you even ask that question? But Jews thought that he was talking about physical water. But Jesus came to flip the script and say, no, you actually need spiritual water, and I'm the only one that can provide it. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this point so strongly because Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how we need to see the world. We need to see the, the, the world, people outside of the church, as desperately needy people who are dying because they are apart from Christ. The world is not our enemies. And it's so easy for us to see the decay of culture today and think that the world is some giant threat to us. But if the gates of hell cannot overthrow the church, then either will the decline of culture today. And so as we look out to the world, we ought to see desperate, needy people who need the water of life that is in Christ. That's what we should see. We need to see the spiritual dehydration of people so that we can invite them to receive the best news that has ever 
existed. And that's when we get to our second point. Jesus came to earth to be the wellspring of life. That's why he came, to be the wellspring of life. Look at verse 37 again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus saying, you're looking to God to provide physical water and rain, but if you're spiritually thirsty, look to me. I will satisfy you. I will give you a drink and fill you up. The Jews knew, were awaiting this idea of, of, of water coming in, in, in the form of salvation. They knew passages like Isaiah 12, 3, which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Jesus is coming said, I am this well. I am this salvation. I am the wellspring of salvation. I am God. I will provide you with water. He's using this feast, this Jewish tradition to highlight your greatest need is not physical water and rain. Your greatest need is for a, a Messiah to come and save your souls. Jesus is the true water that the Jews needed. The Jews were at this feast seeking God for physical water, for their crops, and for their thirst. But what they really needed was the life-giving water for their souls that only Jesus can offer. Jesus came to save them out of their sinful depravity and bring them back into a relationship with himself. My friend Reed, a couple of years ago when we were on that trip, as, he, as I found him dragging his backpack on, on the trail, super dehydrated, of course, I ran up to him, grabbed his backpack, and I helped him back to the car. And he was touch and go there for a little bit. We got back to the car, we gave him all the water we had, and he's pounding it, trying to hydrate himself back up. But if you've ever seen someone who's really dehydrated, it's not instant. It took a few hours, more than almost half a day, for, for the water to get through his body and for his muscles to rehydrate. In fact, I remember we got back to the car, and we decided to cut the trip a little early, and we just started driving back to California. And after a few hours, I was driving in the middle of the night, my friend Reed said, I'm good, I'm good now, I, I can drive. I've had enough water, I'm hydrated again. And so he, he has me pull over and he switched seats and before he could even turn the car back on, he literally passed out on the steering wheel from dehydration. That's how desperately he needed water. But as he continued to drink, as he, 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 he consumed water, the color eventually came back into his face, his sense of humor came back, his eyes were more open, his body was revived because he had water, as much as he needed. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when we meet Jesus. He finds us stumbling in this life, dying from dehydration, and he fills us up with life-giving water. And some of us are here today, and we're aware of that. That's why you're here at this church. You're aware of your spiritual needs. You're aware that, that you need to drink deeply from the wellspring of Jesus because he is what fills you up and gives you life. But some of you are here, and you don't realize that. See, the thing about dehydrated people wandering in the desert, something can happen to your mind where you just get so disoriented 
so confused, so lost that you don't even know to look for water anymore. And this can happen to us spiritually. If you're not in Christ, you might find yourself stumbling throughout this life looking for hope, looking for meaning, looking for spiritual satisfaction. But as you turn to the world and the pleasures that it has to offer, you just are left more hungry, more dissatisfied, more thirsty, and you don't even know where to look anymore. The things the world tells you to do just leave you more dehydrated, more empty. And I'm here today, and this text is is before you today to tell you what you need is Jesus. What your soul is desperately looking for is Christ and, and the gospel that he has given us. Jesus alone can save your soul. Jesus alone can satisfy your deepest desires. He can remove your sin. And he takes it upon himself on the cross, paid the debt that you had from your sin, and he died the death that you deserve to die so that you can live with him forever. Are you thirsty today? Do you need Jesus to quench that thirst? Are you tired of trying to figure this life out on your own? Are you hurting and broken inside, crippled by the shame and guilt of your sin? If that's you, I want to invite you to hear the words of Jesus today. Come to me and drink. Come to Jesus and receive the life that he has to offer. He will fill you up. He will renew you. He will save your soul. Come and find life in him today. In fact, if that's you, if you are here and you're you're, you're saying, yes, that's what I need. I need Jesus to save my soul. I need Jesus to give me life. Just, Just stop listening to me for a minute. And bow your heads in this room. That's why this is called a worship center because this is a place where we're supposed to worship God and behold God and have relationship with God. So just just take a moment in your own mind and cry out to God. He's listening. Cry out to him and say, God, save my soul. Confess your belief in Jesus. Repent of your sin. And if you do that, he will give you eternal life today. Friends, if you are here and you are not yet in Christ, if you've not yet received the life-giving salvation that he offers you, I plead with you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where he is waiting for you with open arms, saying, come to me and drink. Come find life in Christ today. Come experience the true inexpressible joy. Come experience peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ. Come to Jesus today and he will satisfy your soul. This text leaves us with one more question though. This text, I think, is is asking the question, how? How is Jesus going to spread this life-giving salvation to the earth? How is this wellspring that Jesus is, how is he going to deliver that water to all the lost, all the needy people around the earth? How is he going to accomplish that mission? 
I think we see this third point in our text. God spreads his life-giving salvation through the church. God spreads his life-giving salvation through the church. Follow along in verse 38 with me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. We see here that the the text tells us that Jesus is, is quoting scripture, but if you look all throughout the Old Testament, this is not an exact verse that he's quoting. Jesus is more summarizing this big Bible idea from the Old Testament, this big theological idea of water and salvation from the Old Testament. And once again, he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to people that know this big Bible idea. He knows that these people have heard about rivers of living water before. And the reason he knows that is because, remember, he's at this feast. And at this feast, these priests, before they were going to sacrifice the water on the altar, they would read scripture. And I want to read just two verses that they would read at this festival. Zechariah 14.8 says this, On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And then in uh, Ezekiel 47.9, we read this, And wherever the river goes, living creatures that swarm will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. I'm highlighting these two verses because there's this really important Old Testament prophecy and image that the Jews had in their mind. They were waiting for this day when from the temple in Jerusalem, God was going to burst through the ground a river of living water that's going to constantly flow and bring life to the desert. And I want to just highlight a photo of the desert that he's talking about here. This is the desert outside of Jerusalem that leads down to the Dead Sea. And I've walked, hiked all through this desert, and it is barren. For miles and miles you walk through this desert and you won't see any vegetation, any life, any animals because it's a desert where life doesn't grow. But this Old Testament promise, this Old Testament prophecy says one day a river is going to flow out of the temple and that desert is going to be filled with rivers and trees and, and, and fish and life is going to come from these rivers. And the Jews know this. They just heard these verses read at this festival And what Jesus does is he takes this idea and he says, whoever believes in me, out of them, out of their hearts, will flow rivers of living water. Whoever has trusted in Christ, believed in him, Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit to take up residence in their heart. And and, and as a result, the Holy Spirit is going to pour out of them. And wherever his church goes, living waters is going to flow from the church. This is an image that Jesus is describing here in this verse. In the back of this photo, you'll see a, 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 a cross on the top of that building. And notice the river bursting out of the doors of the church and bringing green life vegetation to this valley. 
This is Jesus' hope for the church. This is Jesus' mission for the church, that we would be a people planted in this spiritual desert, proclaiming the good news of salvation so that we can see spiritual deserts turned into life-giving forests. So we can see the dead people around us come to life in Christ. This is one of the primary reasons Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, so that he can speak through our gospel proclamation, so that that he can awaken people to the life-giving message of Jesus. This is one of the primary purposes of the local church, that we would gather together and be a people who are seeking to to deliver the life-giving message of Jesus to the world. This is the will of God for the church across the globe. And this is the will of God for this church here in Tonawanda. This is God's will for us, that we would be a people who drink deeply from the wellspring of Christ, and as a result, we will just overflow into the people and places around us. That as we encounter and worship Jesus, that 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 would just burst out of us And the people around us, as a result, would drink deeply from Christ as well. That they too would be finished and revived by him. That his living water would just overflow out of who we are. That's why God has put you in this community. That's why God has put you in the jobs that he has. That's why God has put you in the classrooms that he has. That's why you sit next to the people at work or at school Because God intends for you, someone who's experienced life in Christ, to share that with those who do not yet have it. God wants to redeem a people back to himself. He wants to redeem the people of Western New York. And he is going to pour out his salvation through the proclamation of the church through the priesthood of all believers. I mean, it's not just me and, and, our, and our pastors and elders here, but all of us, we're all ministers of the gospel. We're all charged with this. Look at the text again. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in Jesus, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, we know the world is hurting and is confused and broken And what they desperately need is Christ. And how else are they going to hear? How else are they going to know if we don't share it with them? What spiritual deserts has God placed you in so so that he can pour out his living water through you? Where has God placed you? My prayer is that we would align our lives to participate in more of this. That we would set up our our weeks and how we spend our time for the ultimate purpose of seeing the rivers of living water flow throughout these streets. This is the call of this passage. And we could spend a lot more time talking about how this is done, how this is accomplished, But I just want to put forward just one primary application from our text today. How do we start proclaiming the gospel more? How do we become a more missional people? How do we grow in boldness and courage to share our faith with the people around us? 
we start on our knees. We pray desperately for God to move in our lifetime in the, in the communities that we live in. And that's why we read Psalm 67 at the beginning of our service. It's, it's ultimately, it's a prayer that the psalmist wrote for God to pour out his salvation on the nations. And my hope today is that this psalm would be our prayer. That we would be a church who, from the core of who we are, desperately pleading to God for him to save the nations. And, and as I'm about to read this text, I, I pray that you would just lay aside your excuses Lay aside your fears and your doubts. Lay aside the reasons that you've convinced yourself why you don't need to share the gospel with your coworker or with your friends. God's plan for the church is for us to proclaim the life-giving message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And here's the cool thing about Western New York. We don't even have to leave this place to go to the nations. In my short month and a half of living in Buffalo, I've encountered people from five different continents. The nations have come to us. And there's people here in New York that have still never heard about Jesus. Isn't that crazy? There's people from unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel. They've moved here and we haven't shared the good news with them yet. But we know from the Bible, that God wants them to be saved. God wants all peoples to praise him. And so as I read this text one more time for us, I, 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 I ask that you would receive it and that you would too, you would pray this as a prayer to God. In fact, would you just close your eyes as I read this text over us? Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. And guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. God, we see the need. Every day we are being bombarded with how desperately wicked people are apart from you. How desperately lost people are apart from you. And we pray right now for you to save their souls. Make them right with you so that they can praise your holy name. We long to see the nations adore you. We long to see them be glad and filled with joy because they've been reconciled to you through Christ. God, let the peoples praise you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.